another Soul of America radio broadcast. Tonight's episode is Let's Straighten It Out, starring Dr. Bo, also known as Big Easy. Big Easy helps you work out and foster healthy relationships. Tonight's show is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio and hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. And now, without any ado, we take you directly to Let's Straighten It Out with Dr. Bo. Call in the numbers three two three 
646-784-9638. And we want to encourage you to uh, join in the conversation tonight. Share your thoughts, ideas, raise questions. Uh, I will share information, but hopefully we'll have some callers that want to join in. Uh, this study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, um, one of the key proponents and the person that was doing the presentation last week was Dr. Vincent Saletti. And this study has been going on uh, for quite some time, and it was conducted to look at the association between uh, childhood maltreatment and abuse and how it affects the later life, health, and well-being of people. And the study involved a collaboration between the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Kaiser Permanente's Health Appraisal Clinic in San Diego. And they looked at about a little over 17,000 people that were coming in for comprehensive physical exams. And they took a pretty detailed history of these people about their childhood experiences around the issues of abuse, neglect, and family dysfunction. And what they have seen is a pretty strong correlation between the childhood experiences in these areas and the physical, emotional, and mental health uh, of the people that they were studying. And each one of these participants was given a pretty lengthy questionnaire about the family environment that they grew up in and looking at details about their current health status and their behavior and their relationships, and then they looked at the results of the physical exam. And what I'll be sharing a little bit later, well, what are some of those factors that they found that they could trace back to the adverse childhood experiences that these people had? So the study suggests that these experiences uh, present major risk factors for uh, illnesses and for early death because of a poor quality of life. And so we want to look at what some of those adverse childhood experiences are and also what are some things that uh, they cause and what can we do about it. And as with any information that's shared on this program, <clears throat> I remind you that it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, it doesn't apply to everybody. Uh, there are some people that have had some pretty negative childhood experiences, but somehow uh, they came out to be okay. And there are some that have uh, not been so negative that uh, didn't do as well. So there's always exceptions to everything. So with any research or statistics that's shared, it is shared for information and education purposes with the realization that there's always going to be some exceptions. So when there are exceptions, I invite you to call in and share your uh, thoughts about it. Uh, one of the things that uh, came out of this study is that when you look at some of these adverse childhood experiences and how it affects people's social, emotional, and cognitive uh, functioning, uh, how do they develop uh, their social activities and relationships? How do they relate to each other? Are they emotionally stable? Uh, do they have? Uh, do they think clearly or intellectually? Or are they functioning uh, well in the job or at school? Uh, how well do they adapt to stress and tragedies and other adverse situations in their life? So, as we look at the study, what they found 
traumatic stressors, uh, which we are calling adverse childhood experiences, that is fairly common, more common than a lot of people realize. And based on the study of the 17,000 or so people, almost two-thirds of these people had at least one of the 10 adverse childhood experiences that were identified, and more than 20% of them had three or more. And so they looked at the long and short-term impact of exposure to the different um, stressors or traumatic stressors that these kids or people experience as children and look at how does it affect their health and social problems. So a lot of the problems that we see people experiencing today can be traced back to their family environment and to their childhood. We did a show uh, almost a year ago about the impact of fatherlessness or the absent father, and unfortunately that's a pretty prevalent um, problem in our society today. So many kids grow up without a father in their life or not even knowing who their father is, or if there's a father, he's not presenting some of the positive impacts that need to be there. So when we look at the fact that people that experience one or more of these adverse childhood experiences have increased risk to problems such as alcoholism or alcohol abuse, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is COPD, uh, it's just not from smoking, um, one of the adverse one of the impacts of ACEs or is increased likelihood of smoking. It contributes to depression. Uh, there's an increased incident of uh, fetal death or early birth defects. Uh, there are a lot of health-related issues that negatively impact the quality of life. Uh, it increases the likelihood of illicit drug use or drug abuse. Uh, it increases the likelihood of various heart diseases. Uh, liver disease, um, people who have had multiple adverse childhood experiences are more at risk of um, domestic violence or violence with their intimate partner. Uh, they are more likely to have multiple sex partners or to be promiscuous, which means that they are more at risk of STDs or sexually transmitted diseases. They are also more at risk of liver disease, um, there's more incidence of suicide attempts, unintended pregnancies. Uh, people tend to start smoking, drinking, or become sexually active at earlier age and so forth. Therefore, there's an increased incidence of adolescent pregnancy. These are just some of the social and health problems that people experience, and this study indicates that a lot of the folks that experienced these problems had one or more adverse childhood experiences, and in some instances, three or more. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who develops these problems necessarily had uh, those experiences, but the research shows that most of the people who have multiple traumas in their life are more at risk of social interpersonal and uh, health problems as they grow older. And so we want to think about what can we as a group of people do when we recognize this in our own families or with ourselves, with our children, with the people that we care about. If these things already exist and you can't undo it, 
Uh, one thing that you can do is to encourage people to get help for their health problems, and particularly if they have problems with substance abuse or mental illness or domestic violence. Uh, there are a lot of resources available for people to get help. So it's never too late for people to try to turn their lives around. Uh, so we want to look at what can we do as a group to make sure that we are on target with trying to help people to uh, get their life together and to try to make sure that they're doing things that will improve the quality of their life. One of the things that came out of this study is they identified basically 10 risk factors or adverse childhood experiences, and they were listed in three categories. One was abuse, which included emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. Uh, the other one was neglect, which is emotional and physical neglect. And then the third was household dysfunction, and that's where there was an incidence of domestic violence, particularly when the mother was the victim of violence, uh, where there was a household history of substance abuse or dependence, where there was a household history of mental illness, where there was an incident of separation or divorce, and when one or more family members had been incarcerated. And the study involved 17,337 uh, people. It was a little bit more women, a little over 9,000 women and almost 8,000 men. But what it showed was that with this population, that with the women, uh, a little over 13% had experienced emotional abuse, 27% physical abuse, and 25% uh, sexual abuse. With the men, it was 8% emotional abuse, 30% physical abuse, and 16% uh, sexual abuse. So you can see that it was pretty prevalent that these folks experienced various types of abuse when they were growing up. And the increased incidence in sexual abuse um, is pretty prevalent. Um, a lot more of the women than men had been sexually abused. More of the men had been physically abused. Uh, the emotional abuse uh, was pretty prevalent for both of them. In the area of neglect, uh, the women was about 17% had experienced emotional neglect, 13% uh, of the men with physical neglect, uh, almost 10% of the women, and about 11% of the men. In the areas of household dysfunction, uh, the women had experienced, about 14% of them had experienced uh, domestic violence, about 12% of the men had experienced domestic violence in their family. Uh, substance abuse was about 30% for both. Uh, mental illness, 23% of the women and 15% of the men. Uh, separation or divorce, it was almost equal, uh, 20 to 25%. And household incarceration was fairly equal. About 5% of each had experienced uh, one or more family members uh, being incarcerated. When you look at the number of adverse childhood experiences um, of the group that they studied, about 35% of the, the women and 38% of the men indicated that they had not experienced any of these 10 uh, incidents of abuse that were identified. 
about 25% of the men and women indicated they had experienced one. About 15% indicated they had experienced two. About 10% three. And four more was 15% of the women and 10% of the men. So you can see that it's pretty prevalent that there was a lot of abuse uh, going on with these folks that were uh, in this study. So we're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back and after that talk a little bit about what was the makeup of the group and what are some other things that uh, they found. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a little bit. Come on, caller. 
Uh, good evening, Dr. Bowles. First off, let me say thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak. I'm enjoying your program, and I'm so glad that you're addressing this topic. Okay. Always glad to have folks call in. Wish we could get more to call in and comment. <laughs> well, uh, maybe that's to my advantage tonight, because in listening to your discussion, you basically hit on everything or many challenges that I have personally encountered mm -hmm. as uh, a former quote-unquote bad child and uh, quite frankly am living today truly by the grace of God. Mm -hmm. um, uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in what uh, would typically be called a good household on the outside. Uh, my father was hardworking. My mother worked in education. Um, but my father had a bad temper. Mm -hmm. And when he got angry, we all knew it, and, you know, men do what they did, and that's what my father did. And so I grew up seeing domestic violence and thinking that was normal. Mm -hmm. um, once they became divorced, um, I then went and moved with my mother, and uh, I encountered being molested by her young boyfriend. Mm -hmm. This is all going on while I'm in private education. Everybody's thinking we're the ideal family, and to make my long story short, I can tell you that I've overcome drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Nobody even knew at that time that I was battling a crack habit. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is just some idiopathic illness for mm -hmm. something wrong with your intestines related to stress. I was a high school dropout. I had my first daughter when I was 17. I now have six daughters. And through all of that, I still managed today to have two graduate degrees mm -hmm. and uh, went back to school because even though all those things happened, as a child, my family instilled in me a value for education. Mm -hmm. And I always knew that even when I was going through that and I was on welfare, I lived in proximity to DePaul and took advantage of that. When the public aid people say, how are you going to afford that? You're going to have to go to the zoo, write workshops, and I could mm -hmm. use a resume because my mother was the director of career development. And I just had the opportunity to ch change my life. Mm -hmm. But I believe that the catalyst and the impetus that I had for change, in addition to education, was that I also grew up in a household with praying grandmothers. Mm -hmm. And we've done so much to take uh, education out of the school by us bickering over whose religion is right, right, but we've forgotten that God is sovereign, and now these kids without real fathers or natural fathers don't have a spiritual father. Right. I was blessed to have served as a dean of students for several years uh, in middle school, charter school education, and recently resigned because I made up in my spirit I will not suspend another black child because of the sacrifice that I knew our ancestors made, mm -hmm. made to make education available to us. But because of discipline issues and what we term disrespect and defiance in the classroom, now we're, we're killing ourselves, not just in the streets, but in the schools. We're mm -hmm. sending them home when they need to be there. So I believe that your topic is timely and relevant and important, and I believe that more people like myself who are not ashamed or afraid to say, I've done everything you said, but with prayer and mm -hmm. education, God can change all of that. 
And that's the key. And I think that you hit on some very important topics, and I really appreciate you sharing that because one of the things is there are a lot of families. One, we need to realize that there are no Cosby families in this world. That's mm-hmm. just on TV. And there are a lot of families that look fine on the outside, but behind closed doors, there's a lot of trauma that's being experienced by the family members and particularly the children. But some of the key factors of resiliency that you identified, there are a lot of praying grandmothers that have held families mm-hmm. together. And we yes. just need to thank God for grandmothers. I had one. Yes. I grew up in a family with both my parents physically present, but a lot of these things I experienced, you know, uh, as a child. But my grandmother paid, played a key factor in my growth and development. So you identified that there were people that provided positive attachments for you, and the value of education helped to create some of those other factors of resiliency, which is developing, you know, the cognitive and intellectual competence. So one of the things that's important for us to understand is that these kids have to have healthy attachments. They have to have mm-hmm. parental supervision and consistent discipline. And unfortunately, yes. some of the attachments that they develop aren't healthy attachments. That's why so many of our young folks are attracted to gangs is they um, find in the game what they should be finding in their families. And so you were one of the fortunate ones that in spite of some of the adverse childhood experiences, you fortunately had some of those positive factors that contribute to resilience, and you had to resolve to take advantage of some of these resources that were placed before you. Unfortunately, too often we blame the victims. We blame the children. And that's why I chose the topic of there are no bad children. Children have absolutely no choice (laughs) over the family that they're born into, and they don't have any choice of selecting their parents. And it's the parents, it's the adults that are responsible for the outcome of our children. So there are no bad children. They just had some bad experiences that negatively impact their lives. And if they don't have some of those factors that help them to be resilient, then some of them won't have positive outcomes. So you're one of those exceptions, and I really appreciate you calling and sharing. And I'm sure there are others out there who have overcome some of the negative things that they have experienced. Um, I didn't realize how bad some of the things were I experienced until I went to college and studied sociology. It was like, well, that's what we experience in this you know, neighborhood, the violence, the abuse, the substance abuse, and a lot of the stuff that was just pretty typical. We had no idea of the impact that that would have in later years, but a lot of research is showing how children that are raised in these environments develop some of these problems in later life that can be avoided, and hopefully some of them can have someone in their lives that can get them turned around. You know, with us when we were growing up, if it wasn't for the boys' club, then we wouldn't have had anywhere to go, and we had a lot of positive influence from hanging out at the boys' club. So I really appreciate you sharing, and hopefully we'll have some other folks to call in. But thanks again for sharing that with us. Thank you. Have a good evening. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks, we really appreciate that call, calling and sharing because that's a perfect example of how people can experience things growing up. But it's important for us to realize that 
it is possible to overcome some of these adverse experiences. But in order for you to do that, it's important for you to have people in your life that can help you to be able to adapt. I talked about this idea of resilience, and that's simply the ability to adapt and bounce back when you face adversity, trauma, tragedies, or threats, or significant stress in your life. And some people can experience some things that, to me, is, you know, unfathomable that they are experiencing it. You know, when you see children being abused, I can't imagine. uh, I've gotten pretty angry with my children. They've done some things that I'm thinking, how in the world, what were you thinking? But to see the abuse that some of these children experience and some of the neglect that children experience, it's just even with my knowledge about human behavior, it's hard for me to fathom sometimes the abuse that people have. And I know that sometimes people are overcome by alcohol and drug abuse or mental illness and they do things, but there are some people that are just outright sociopaths that will uh, abuse children and other people that get in their way. But as I said earlier, in order for children to have half a chance of overcoming some of the tragedies that they experience in life, you have to have healthy attachments. Um, A lot of times this is grandmother or it's aunt or someone that might not be your biological parents, but if you have someone in your life to provide some of those healthy attachments, then you have a better chance of overcoming some of these problems. You need consistent parental supervision there are so many latchkey kids in our society that are literally on their own. The parents are in their own world uh, doing their thing. The children are suffering because the parents don't provide consistent supervision. And the children need consistent discipline, not punishment and abuse. Uh, we won't get into the debate about the pros and cons of corporal punishment, but my experience of working with people is that punishment doesn't necessarily change behavior. It just causes people to work harder to not get caught. Uh, You want people to develop that inner control to make decisions to not do things that are negative and detrimental to their health and to the health of others. So those are the key factors that you need, the healthy attachments, parental supervision, and consistent discipline. And it doesn't necessarily have to come from your biological family or parents, but you do need those things for kids to have a chance to avoid delinquency later in life. It's very important for us to think about the um, African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. And when you think about some of the values and principles of these villages where everybody is involved in that child, you need individual factors that help you to be resilient, and you need community factors. Uh, Some of you that grew up in my age, you remember there were times when you stayed out of trouble because you didn't just have to worry about your parents seeing you. If your neighbors saw you, some of the neighbors were close enough that they would not only punish you, but they'd tell your parents, and then you got another punishment when you got home, both for what you did and for embarrassing the family. But this village concept is very important. Uh, There's a approach is used of working with delinquent children 
uh, particularly some of these children that end up in uh, group homes or in residential care, some of these kids that are incarcerated. And it's based on the principles of the Lakota Indians out in the Dakota areas, uh, and it's called the Circle of Courage. And it has four basic principles that come from the culture of these Lakota uh, Native Americans. Um, and they are belonging, mastery, independence, and uh, competence. Uh, or belonging, mastery, independence, and generosity. And if you think about a lot of the philosophies about human behavior, we all want to belong. We want to be a part of a bigger group. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. And if you're one of those kids growing up to where if you're out on the playground and they're choosing teams and you're the one, there was always two kids that they fought over. One was the good the athletes or the kids that had the skills. They fought to get them. And the one who didn't have the skills, they fought to not get them. So if you have to be the one that was not chosen or the one that was chosen last, you didn't develop this sense of belonging. Uh, that's very important for us to uh, feel like we are part of a group. If you know some of the work of Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, uh, one of those is a sense of belonging. So these uh, Lakota Indians instill that through their tribal life. Uh, they, it was kind of like the village concept with this uh, African proverb. And it's very important for our young children to master basic concepts and competencies when they're growing up. One of the problems that we have is that because a lot of children don't develop a solid foundation early in their educational career, then they do end up dropping out of school. And there's been a lot of research done on if a child has not mastered some of these core competencies by the third grade, then there's a significant increase in the likelihood that they're going to be incarcerated. And some of the statistics around uh, early childhood development and education is used to determine how many prisons they need to build. So the, one of the statistics is a little old now, but in Tennessee, we were spending about $5,000 per child on early childhood education and about $38,000 per year to house prisoners. You could serve six more kids with that money that you're spending to keep somebody in prison, and that's just not a good use of our resources. So you want to feel like you belong. You want to have a sense of uh, mastery, and you want to be independent. One of the goals of parents is to raise your children up to be independent and to leave home. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, there are more adult children staying at home now for a lot of different reasons. Uh, some of it is because of our economy, but um, children that feel that they belong, they develop a sense of mastery or competence in the core areas. They develop a sense of independence, and we want to be independent as well as interdependent. We can't manage by ourselves, but as our children grow, we want to help them to become more and more independent, and that means we have to be involved with them. And it also, this idea of generosity, um, you have a lot of our private schools, for example, require uh, service learning experience for community service, and now 
a lot of the public schools are requiring students to do uh, community service. That gives them a sense of contributing back to the community. And so these are things that are important that people need to help them to overcome uh, some of the obstacles that they face in life. But it's important for us to be a village, to look at some of these cultures that are successful in having uh, responsible, competent children that become responsible, competent adults. Um, And that's something that's very important. But uh, we want to encourage you to call and share your thoughts or questions. But um, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll be back and wrap this up. But if you want to call in, 323-784-9638, or you can uh, log on to soulofamericaradio.com. We'll be back in a few minutes. Every Thursday night at 8 o'clock p.m. here on the Soul of America Radio, you be sure to tune in and listen to Dr. Bo, also known as Big Easy. Big Easy hosts a segment called Let's Straighten It Out, in which we work out or help you work out relationship issues, whether it's parent, child, friend, co-worker, or even the special love of your life. You can call Big Easy right here at 323-784-9638. 323-784-9638. So throw everything else you got to do on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Throw it out the window. And you tune in right here to the Soul of America Radio and listen to Big Easy. Speak your mind. Dial in and speak with the host now at 323-784-9638. That's 323-784-9638. This is the Soul of America Radio.
folks, welcome back to Let's Straighten It Out. Our topic tonight is There Are No Bad Children, and we're talking about the impact of adverse childhood experiences on the lives of people, how it affects our mental, physical, and emotional health. And we had a caller earlier, we really appreciate her calling and sharing some life experiences that really fit with this topic. And fortunately, it also uh, was an example of how people are able to overcome some of these adverse life experiences. If you want to learn more about this particular study, it's on the CDC website, and it's www.cdc.gov slash ACE, or just Google the ACE study, and it gives you more details about some of the findings of this study. What we want to spend our last segment on is looking at what are some of the things that our children need uh, in order for them to overcome some of these problems. If you have young children, then it's not too late to do this. If you have older children, then you can look at ways that you can help to support them because they really do uh, need guidance and attachments um, and consistent discipline. Uh, unfortunately, some of our children have gotten too caught up in gangs and negative activity, and it's just really unfortunate. But we don't want to give up on these kids, um, never give up. So we want to uh, see what we can do. We've got a caller that wants to make a comment, so let's bring them in. Hello, caller. You want to comment? Hi, Dr. Bo. This is Tiki. How are you? Hey, Tiki. How are you doing? I am wonderful. I've been listening to the show tonight. It's an awesome show. I heard your last caller. I thought that was a very courageous story. That was. (laughs) I uh, am really glad to hear that because that was just awesome. It is. It is. (laughs) Wow. I couldn't imagine. You know, of course, I didn't suffer any of those issues in my family, um, Mm -hmm. particularly my mother and grandmother. They were very vigilant. Mm -hmm. So I hear so many uh, stories about, particularly from women, to say that they were abused or molested and whatnot in their childhood, and I'm horrified, you know, mm-hmm. because those issues never touched my life. But I was interested um, when I saw your topic because um, I've been real concerned this week about the story in the news, and I heard you earlier say, you, you know, they, you really didn't want to get into the debate of the whole corporal punishment thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I saw the story in the news about the six-year-old that was carried out of school in handcuffs. Mm-hmm. As Dr. Boas, you know, I don't have children, mm-hmm. but um, I struggle with stories like these that, you know, when you hear about these extreme behavior issues with children in school. Mm-hmm. I know when I was in school, particularly in elementary school, um, corporal punishment was very much in play. Mm-hmm. And the threat, the thought that I might be punished uh, by a spanking was enough to keep me in line. They didn't actually have to do it, mm-hmm. but me just knowing that it was possible <laughs> served <laughs> as a, a deterrent <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to keep me straight, right? Yeah. But these children <clears throat> in school systems today, Dr. Bow, and I don't know if the correct answer is 
that corporal punishment should not have been removed from school. I mean, I don't know what the right answer is, but all I know is these children, there are no boundaries, there are no guidelines for behavior mm-hmm. in, in, you know, for them in school. And, it, of course, it starts at home because I've heard these children, a lot of them will tell you that they're going to tell, you know, I'll tell my mom on you. Mm-hmm. Or I tell my daddy on you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like they go to school and they challenge the authority figures in school from a very young age. <clears throat> but uh, my mom will tell, like, my nieces and nephews, their teachers, you know, they mm-hmm. cut up, they do this, they call me. You know, they'll tell them, you know, Pop them on their behind. She'll tell them, pop them on their butt. You know, of course mm-hmm. the teachers will say, no, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I, I'm concerned, Dr. Ball. I'm really concerned, and I worry about, I mean, they took a six-year-old out in handcuffs. Mm-hmm. I think I would have preferred the, the principal or the teacher to spank my six-year-old mm-hmm. than to have her, him or her removed in handcuffs. And I'm I don't just trying to reconcile. <clears throat> I don't know the you don't details know the, you're, you're, of that. You don't know of that story? I've, re- I've seen it. I've been reading it. I've heard about it, but I don't know what was behind it. You know, I would Right, and they don't say a lot about what was behind it. They said, you know, they, the reports are that the police were called. The child was out of hand, <laughs> whatever that means. And, you know, the child started, you know, was fit. Pitching a fit and throwing furniture and mm-hmm. just out of control totally. Well, there was but some the comment hand... about the size of this child that he was bigger than what you would think. But even if he were bigger than your average six-year-old, you would think that an adult policeman, and I'm assuming it was more than one, that there right. was some way that they could have contained this child without putting them in cuffs. So because that has psychological, you know, mm-hmm. impact. I'm sure as well. Yeah. Not just the fact that he, the child was handcuffed to be restrained, but mm-hmm. the handcuffs coming into play, period, at that right. age. Well, that's going to be a definite adverse childhood experience for that child that he will never forget, and it's going to adversely impact his image of police. Um, and so I think that we have to be mindful that this child, who knows what he had experienced at home uh, that right. led him to act that way, and unfortunately, a lot of the time the teachers' hands are tied because they don't have the resources, the classrooms are too big, they don't have the support that they need. They've taken out some of the things that were helpful, and our education system in a lot of instances is lacking. But when you see instances like that, you just know that this child is going to have bigger problems down the road, and now you're going to have this image of him being hauled off in cuffs, and that's not likely to have any positive impact. Right. And the, and the thing that really bothers me is, okay, that's the story we heard about. Mm-hmm. You know, how many instances are in everyday occurrences right. that you don't even hear about? Yeah. That there's something um, adverse happening to a child in the school system. Mm-hmm. And, and you see more and more they're kids. They're just falling you, through the cracks. Yeah, you're hearing teachers that are sexually abusing kids, and it's just. Right. And I know that these are the exceptions, and it's an issue of, you know, we all grew up where corporal punishment was the norm. And some right. of the whippings I got, you know, they qualify as abuse. <laughs> so, and 
and I survived. But that's the <laughs> difference is that some of these kids, the parents didn't know when to say when. And right. some of these kids that just went overboard. So, you know, each parent has to make a decision about whether or not they're going to use corporal punishment. But there's a limit to where it gets to the point where it's just outright abuse, uh, where other types of discipline are proven to be more effective. But we have a situation in our life that we have a lot of young folks that are headed down the wrong road, and we need to come together as a group of people to pool our resources to try to save some of these kids because it's not the kids' fault. You know, a lot of times they just in bad situations, and we found out about them, you know, a little bit too late. But um, I appreciate you calling and sharing. We got another person that wants to call, so let me see if we can give them a little bit save it. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Okay, caller, you want to make a comment or ask a question? Yeah, yeah, Dr. Boy, I'm, in, I'm enjoying the show. I, I really wasn't able to listen, but... Uh, kind of overheard it while I was doing some other work and and and, and started thinking. Um, I'm a former police officer uh, with the city I'm living in in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day in 2008, no, 2000, well, whenever it was, I got a call that a mother was held up in the bathroom and uh, she was being threatened by her child with a knife. Mm-hmm. So when we got there, uh, the child was 10 years old. And uh, he was outside when we came up. He was a pretty big fella for 10, but when we got there, he was outside. And so uh, we approached him with caution. Uh, we, we did not put our weapons, but we did approach him with caution. We, we did a pat down, and we set him down, and uh, he became belligerent with us. Mm-hmm. So my partner, has his temper was a little shorter than mine. He he was able to gain control of his attitude by his demeanor. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. <laughs> and it was squashed, but the problem was he disrespected his mother. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to cuff him, all right, but uh, we were very cautious because we knew there was a knife in the house somewhere and he had threatened her. Mm-hmm. Well, she didn't, long story short, she didn't want us to do anything. She just kind of wanted us there for a moment. But I was getting to the point of saying, in all fairness to the police officer that was there, being a, a former law enforcement, I can say that we really don't know what happened. And it mm-hmm. might have been, and this is a big might, that the child was doing something that would cause harm to himself. Mm-hmm. In that case, a trained police officer will administer cuffs because if you're restraining a child, you could damage that child. You could break something. You could right. you could hurt him if you're trying to restrain a child that's, that's fighting Mm-hmm. It would seem more fitting to put a cuff to put cuffs on the child to keep him from doing him or her from doing harm to themselves. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know that this was the situation, but just in my experience, that is one reason I could see that a 13-year-old, I think the child might have been 13 in the sixth grade, mm-hmm. could have been cuffed, handcuffed, and and it might have been a large child that could have caused harm to himself. So I. I guess the comment I wanted to make was, in some instances, law enforcement uses cuffs to for the protection of the person that they're cuffing as well. Right. And I heard one report was that this child was a pretty good-sized kid. And I remember when I worked at a mental health center, 
we had uh, mental health officers. These were sheriff deputies that had gone through training uh, to deal with people with mental illness. And I know that when they would come to pick up kids, uh, folks to take them to the psychiatric hospital, they always put them in cuffs. And when I asked them if they could not do it, then they had a policy that if they had someone that had been aggressive or potentially violent, that when they transported them, that they were they had a policy that they had to cuff them. And, you know, so I we don't always know all the details. There's always three sides to every story. So, um, but I think that this is just an example of what some of these kids are experiencing, and who knows what type of home environment that kid came from. And sometimes when these kids get to school and they're acting out, if you knew what was going on in their home, you'd have a better understanding of why some of them exhibit the behavior that they do. Well, you know, we've got calls. We used to get calls to, to schools, young schools, elementary, uh, middle schools, where the child was acting up in the principal's office. And, mm-hmm. Dr. Bo, when, when I grew up, um, acting up in the principal's principal's office meant that you tried to open your mouth while they were talking, <laughs> or or that you looked at them a certain way. But acting right. up now means that they will curse their parents out in the principal's office in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. And we experienced that. We're standing there, gun badge, and he is cursing his mother out yep. in front of us. Now, um, we didn't cuff him or drag him off because he, he hadn't done anything physically. But, I mean, that's the kind of – it's a different kind of act out than what mm-hmm. I think we're accustomed to. Yeah. And well, I think got, you see a lot more violent, aggressive behavior with younger children. And so when we read about these things and hear them in the media, you have to realize that that's only a small portion of all the facts. And once you dig deeper – uh, invariably, these kids have experienced a lot of trauma in their life, and a lot of time they're just reacting the way that they've learned to act because that's the way the people around them are acting. Right, right. Now, I think, like you said, it, like the show uh, uh, does uh, lead toward that some of it, if not all of it, some of it uh, comes, and most of it probably comes from an adverse childhood or, or mm-hmm. something that they've been covering up or something that they uh, might have experienced from another household or, or, or something. So, so I'm enjoying your show, uh, Doctor Bo. You're doing a doing an outstanding okay. job tonight. Well, thanks for calling. We've got another caller that wants to comment. So, thanks for calling in. Okay, caller, you want to share something? Hello, Doctor Bo. This is Tiki. You're back to me. Uh, yes. Uh, Okay. I was listening. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was listening to the last caller, and uh, the one that I was speaking to you about, and what disturbed me so bad was a six-year-old kindergarten girl. So I just wanted to 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 make that distinction. I was talking about the the child in Georgia, the little six-year-old girl. Well, that's why there was one I know that was an older kid, but I was aware that you were talking about the six-year-old that it was. Yeah, I was talking about the six-year-old because I thought kindergarten, you know, that six years old would cost just a little, you know. And and I understand the caller's perspective Mm -hmm. as a police officer. Well, honestly, I don't know how it got to the point of where the police had to become involved anyway. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? 
for a well, six-year-old. Well, you just never know. I've seen some no, you know, small kids that can get pretty violent, but you, know, you just never know all the details. And so um, we just want to try to minimize those things, and hopefully we can get enough folks that are willing to do some volunteer work with some of these kids at school to try to help to overcome some of these things that they're having to deal with. Right. Okay, that's the only clarification I wanted to make. I know you have other callers. Thank you, Dr. Mo. Okay. Well, we appreciate all of our callers. I always enjoy people calling in and uh, sharing their comments. But what we, we only have a few minutes left, and I want to just kind of remind you that it's not too late that if you have small children, then you just need to be mindful of how some of these adverse experiences can affect the smaller children. Uh, we have several programs here in Chattanooga where we're trying to work with the kids, uh, particularly young black men, males, uh, 6th through 12th grade, because that's a very challenging time for young men uh, growing up. And you're finding more younger kids getting drawn into gang activities. And one of the discussions that went on for quite a while here in Chattanooga is, well, they're not real gangs, they're wannabes. And my observation and experience is that it doesn't matter whether they're a real gang or wannabes. Some of these wannabes are even more at risk and more dangerous because they don't have some of the uh, values or codes that are followed. And we just have an opportunity to help our young folks. And as parents, we have a responsibility to provide an environment for our child that will help prepare them for adulthood. And one thing that we need to look at is through uh, healthy family experiences and activities. Uh, we need to look at helping them with education and valuing education, like the caller earlier shared, how the value of education helped her to overcome some of these adverse childhood experiences. I think that regardless of what your spiritual or religious beliefs are, that's a very key component to developing a healthy lifestyle and a healthy outlook. Uh, sometimes we get to splitting hairs about what people believe and we miss the main point and we overlook some of the similarities that we have. But I think that if you look at this village concept and we get back to that, so uh, we want to Thank you for listening in. We're about out of time, so we will see you next week.